welcome back to the Waddles Workshop podcast. This is episode three, and today we have a very, very special episode. Uh, we're doing an interview with a actor who was on The Mandalorian, Dominic Pace. Um, hey, thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely, Josh. Thanks for having me. Hello to all your listeners. Hope, uh, hope everyone's safe up there in Canada. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I just thought it'd be cool to just ask you some questions about, you know, uh, being on The Mandalorian and all that cool stuff. So the first question I have for you is, uh, how did you go on The Mandalorian? How did you, uh, get on it? Sure. I had previous prosthetic experience, uh, before I have been sort of a blue collar actor to where I take second team jobs as well as first team jobs. I've had a number of guest stars over the years as well as co-stars, but I had a little bit of fun with prosthetics. It's not the greatest talent in the world, but it is something where you need uh, a certain amount of patience uh, and also a very positive attitude in order to sort of endure that in the morning for sometimes up to two, three hours on your face or on your body. I had previous experience uh, doubling, photo doubling and doubling uh, Frankenstein on Van Helsing uh, back in 2002 opposite Hugh Jackman, as well as I was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as one of the Kree guards. Uh, I also had another prosthetic involved uh, secondary team, uh, uh, second team uh, uh, character in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., as well as I was one of the orcs in Bright. Um, I had that experience. I was invited in uh, by Brian Seip, who's one of the heads of Legacy Effects, and he actually headed up Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy. So he had a oh, lot wow. of pull within the Marvel Universe, as well as the Star Wars Universe, mm -hmm. DC. Uh, I mean, they go to this guy to do some of the detailed prosthetics when they don't want to use CGI on a character there. Uh, just amazing work. So long story short, not only did I get selected, but Brian selected uh, me to sort of for those two weeks uh, to do the most extensive makeup uh, out of all those bounty hunters that you see in episode one and three, including the stars. Uh, so I was really honored. Uh, obviously, the hope now as a Star Wars fan is we'd love to get that action figure. Uh, we'd love to see his life continue. We have a little bit of promise uh, in another venue of the Star Wars universe, which is Marvel Comics. Mm -hmm. uh, and then hopefully we'll circle back around for the show at some time or another. I mean, the beautiful thing is once you're established within the Star Wars universe mm -hmm. or your species, uh, sooner or later they end up circling back. I mean, now we're just getting to see the Tusken Raiders and the Squid Men, et cetera, mm -hmm. uh, after 40 years. But uh, hopefully we don't have to wait that long uh, to see a little bit more of Gecko or his species uh, in the future there. Yeah, for sure. And uh, were you a Star Wars fan before you got to work on The Mandalorian? Absolutely. I was probably the primary reason I got involved in entertainment. Uh, in 1980, I was six years old, uh, sit sitting in a packed theater in New York and uh, seeing Empire Strikes Back for the first time. And I was just absolutely blown away. Uh, you got to mm -hmm. understand at that time, it's not like this generation now to where uh, there's a ton of incredible content. Uh, with $100 million budgets and $200 million budgets yeah. with cutting edge te technology. Lucas was really genuinely ahead of his time, even so much so that sci-fi films before Lucas were kind of corny. They were kind of cheesy. I've, I've done a few of them myself on the sci-fi channel where they don't really have the best budget or using the claymation or just the special effects were kind of cheesy and hokey. Uh, so seeing that for the first time when you're six years old, and there was sort of a limited amount of entertainment at that time. You know, we had just a limited amount of action figures, the mm -hmm. original 12 action figures. The market was not oversaturated with a million different toys. Mm -hmm. uh, it was really special to us Generation Xers and uh, the boomers as well, uh, just because it's like it was like nothing that we've ever seen before. Yeah. Um, you combine that with John Williams music and uh, it just really obviously was uh, something so special and obviously something that we're still talking about 40, 45 years later, uh, which I think is a tribute to George Lucas and his entire team there. So 
without question, a huge Star Wars fan. And actually, I think one of the first collectors within the Star Wars universe. I love the original trilogy figures. I'm actually working on the 1985 Final 17. Oh, wow. uh, they are very expensive, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I've kind of caught the bug. And little by little, every couple months or so, I'll end up adding one to uh, my collection there. Yeah, for sure. And uh, how was uh, how was it being on, you know, the set of uh, The Mandalorian that day? Was, you know, were you, did you get to meet, you know, some of the actors? Uh, how long, uh, actually, I'll say that, but that's a different question. But uh, so, yeah, how was it being on the set that day for The Mandalorian? You know, I was excited, but I, I was very anxious as well. Uh, the reason being is that I knew the, how priceless this opportunity was going to be. And yeah. I love the look of this character, not to mention him being a bounty hunter. So uh, my mind really wasn't, you know, I, I think Yoda would be upset with me and that my mind really wasn't in the moment. I was thinking about the bigger picture of the storyline of Gecko to yeah. see maybe if perhaps if he's going to continue on through the series or perhaps if Doug Chang, who does the most amazing illustrations after every episode of uh, The Mandalorian, if he would catch his eye to where, you know, he wants to continue him on uh, with a comic book or Marvel, uh, which uh, we're in talks now and uh, very hopeful for the Marvel series, Star Wars Bounty Hunters. Wow. Uh, so my mind was just on a million different things in terms of opportunity. I'm sure you're aware that once you are part of the Star Wars universe uh, at a certain level, you're immortalized for the rest of your life. Yeah. And uh, that's a lot of opportunity for my family and I and something obviously that was more exciting than just two weeks on set. But without question, Day one, George Lucas was there, uh, Dave Filoni, John Favreau, and of course the amazing Deborah Chow, uh, who I believe is heading up the Kenobi series right now. Mm -hmm. So uh, just a really magical, magical experience. And uh, obviously I wouldn't trade it for the world, but now of course, we're just hoping for the icing on the cake, everything from an action figure to uh, hopefully continuing on his story uh, throughout the years here. Yeah, for sure. And uh, um, how, many, uh, how many bounty hunters, how many other people were, do you think were on set uh, playing bounty hunters that day? There were 24. Uh, and again, I mean, they put in a, a lot of work to them uh, uh, with the makeup, but there was nothing compared to Gecko. Uh, I think he did the most elaborate on Gecko. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I sound like Donald Trump. It's like a bounty hunter you've never seen before. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best bounty hunter <laughs> in a million years. I've said it. Everyone said it. No, no, no. But really, yeah, they, they did amazing. an amazing, amazing job. Yeah. I, you know, two hours worth. Um, with the shaved head, I think that was more motivation for him to do a little bit more extensive work on the top of the crown. Um, but also, you know, be, having experience, being patient, being friendly, uh, having a really nice rapport with him was a really, I think, went a long way. Yeah. And uh, it was just a really a, a, a stroke of luck because there were two other options that they were going to have meet my head uh, in, and it could have been a mask. Uh, there were two other options that were masked. And of course that would have been fun, but uh, nothing compared to literally the eyes of a Star Wars character being your own eyes, yeah. uh, which I think was very, very special there. Yeah, and so you said there was, you were uh, in the chair for two hours getting makeup done? Two hours uh, to get prepped, and then it took about uh, an hour to get everything off. Unfortunately, it's not one of those things you can just take off like a Halloween mask. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, you'd rip your scalp out. Uh, it was a very, very cautious procedure in order to get me out of there. I did the most hours each day on set that I ever had in my 25-year career, which was great uh, for the bank, of course, mm -hmm. uh, just because you get a significant amount of overtime. Yeah. Um, but also at the same time, it just was... Uh, uh, just a dream come true and long days, uh, very tiring, but also at the same time, just I spoke with Alan Austin, who was one of the original stormtroopers from Empire Strikes Back. He also oh, wow. had the privilege to work 
on Raiders of the Lost Ark, a really nice gentleman over in England. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said the same, that where it's exciting, but also at the same time, you're going at such a fast clip where usually you're only having five, six hours of sleep that it's really hard to just enjoy every moment because uh, obviously you're, you're on a very press schedule there with the with the hours. Yeah, for sure. And uh, was the outfit, the the costume that you were wearing, was it extremely heavy or was it was it pretty light or how was it? I would say almost like uh, dressing for a, a winter, um, you know, you're going to walk out in the in the city for a while in in, uh, in January, you know, so uh, it was uncomfortable because basically it was room temperature. So imagine putting a shirt on and then a sweater and then putting on a robe, you know, so it was kind of that sort of thing. And then not to mention, you know, sealing up the top of your head, which is all usually where the heat escapes to yeah. act as a cooling system for your body. Uh, so it definitely was a little uncomfortable, but also at the same time, again, just loving the look of the character and uh, hoping and believing in uh, his future. Uh, we were, uh, we were, uh, we were filled with adrenaline for those two weeks. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so I think you may have mentioned it earlier, but uh, did you, ha had you seen any pictures or were you aware of what your character was going to look like um, before uh, arriving to set or was it all a surprise when you got there? Uh, it was pretty much a surprise. He was, The reason it was nicknamed Gecko, and now I believe the official name is Gecko, even though Wikipedia kind of has it half Gecko and half unidentified. Um, it, it was a, um, a Greenpeace project that Brian, the prosthetics head, uh, was working on for about uh, maybe three, four years prior. Wow. And it was a, a Gecko model. It was like a 110-pound model who looked like uh, a Gecko. So initially, it was actually going to have bumps like that of a gecko. And uh, I just suggested politely if they can change it uh, to having sort of almost like a Zabrak in a way to where they were kind of like horns. Mm -hmm. And thankfully he did it because I thought the the, the bumps kind of looked a little strange yeah. on him there. So uh, he adjusted it to it. So no, I was not notified in regards to any of the creative process until day one of the makeup test. And that's where I was brought in front of David and John and Deborah Chow uh, to sort of be approved of his look and his makeup to see if they needed any adjustments. And thankfully, my adjustment was able to get in there briefly. And uh, thankfully it did, because uh, I think he's got a really cool look with the four horns there. Yeah, for sure. Um, so how many, so you're in uh, you're in one scene for the thing. I'm pretty sure, and I may be wrong, um, you're in the scene where uh, the Mandalorians are coming off, like Din Djarin is trying to get to his ship, I believe in the fourth episode, I may be wrong. Sure. Um, I mean, but just like Yak Face and Amonamon from Return of the Jedi, uh, no, we were lingered through all throughout episode one. You can see us there. And then also throughout episode three, lingering throughout the cantina. Mm -hmm. uh, and then obviously when the standoff comes in the battle, uh, you can see him as well. Oh, so, well, yeah. you know, I always say it, it would be nothing significant if it wasn't a unique species, if it wasn't a bounty hunter, yeah, and sure. if it wasn't the Star Wars universe. Um, but because of that, that's uh, obviously what makes it significant. But no, episode one and three, uh, you can see him throughout that. You just have to uh, keep a keen eye open there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so did you take anything home from the set that day or for from the set from your time there? We weren't allowed to. Thankfully, the fans have been absolutely amazing in creating everything from a, a mini Lego figure to my blaster, I, my uh, identical uh, to my blaster there, uh, to a Funko Pop, even with a box, uh, to a Black Series figure, to a vintage throwback figure. It's just amazing. I have it all sort of uh, yeah, sort of canonized and immortalized in, in this frame 
uh, the, uh, behind me. Mm -hmm. uh, the fans have been absolutely amazing. But no, the Disney rules are you're not supposed to. It's like Fight Club. You can't talk about it and you certainly can't take anything home. But at the same time, absolutely a priceless experience. And uh, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure how much you're allowed to say, but how, how, what, when were, when did you go in for recording? How long before it was out? That was a year prior. It was September of 2018 and October of 2018. So exactly one year uh, before they released it, it took that much time. And obviously, as you can see, the quality in every episode, you can see the detail that they yeah. had, not only during pre-production, post-production, and also during production. Uh, it definitely takes its time. Uh, but definitely well worth it, as we can see now, even with season two. Oh, boy, what an amazing episode there with uh, Chapter 11. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I have some questions to ask you about that, uh, which we will get to. Um, a question is, uh, how was it extremely hard for you to, you know, keep uh, keep it in, not tell anyone? Uh, you know, being such a big Star Wars fan and getting to see, you know, well, three episodes, right, of, of or two, yeah, around three episodes of content and you know you got like a uh kind of like a spoiler right but yeah. except you were you knew everything before the world was going to happen you knew about baby yoda i believe uh no 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 uh yeah he kept that secret from second team i actually thought oh, wow. there was a baby uh there was you know he was swaddling a baby uh uh dinjarin without question but uh, i thought it was actually going to be a uh prelude or a story mm -hmm. a backstory for ray poe or finn uh, because during oh. the timeline, that's actually when they're babies. So I thought Disney was going to add to the magic of the sequel trilogy by creating sort of an origin of where Ray came from. Yeah. Obviously, a completely different story, as we know now. Yeah, for uh, sure. But, but no, I didn't. I wasn't surprised with that until um, the episode uh, one aired mm -hmm. uh, and seeing it with everybody. But I will say that, well, there's a couple of things. Number one. It's one thing to keep a secret. Uh, you have to keep a secret, of course, away from social media, away from the press. It's another thing where, you know, you close friends and relatives, uh, things like that. So I was able to kind of get it out creatively that way. Mm -hmm. I also confided in a few illustrators and artists to sort of um, uh, confidentially draw Gecko. And those illustrations stay with me to this day. I had them on tour throughout the whole summer. I was able to support small business all throughout the country yeah. um, and go ahead and promote the character all throughout the United States um, and took some of those illustrations with me to sign. You see them if you Google uh, Gecko the Bounty Hunter or go to geckothebountyhunter.com. You can see uh, some of those illustrations. Um, but the other thing is, is also just respect for the production. Yeah. You know, I'm just a second team actor. And the one thing is, this is a $100 million budget where you have uh, family members and you have uh, production people and, and artists and peers that you respect so much. So the last thing that you're going to do yeah. is let the cat out of the bag and disrespect all of their work mm -hmm. uh, just for being a part of it. So that's also your motivation to sort of keep it silent because uh, you're hurting the entire franchise, uh, which has meant so much to everybody if, yeah. you were to, if you were to let it out. So it wasn't until maybe a month prior to the first episode that I just, all I said was I'm going to be a part of it. Uh, and then once the first episode came, then I was starting to be able to drop uh, some of the bombs in terms of the excitement being mm -hmm. on set and such. And again, uh, technically, I mean, you're not even supposed to do that, but also at the same time, uh, everything was just in good spirit and good fun. So yeah. thankfully they never reached out to me and uh, gave me a slap on the wrist. So <laughs> I'm definitely happy about that. Yeah. Amazing. And uh, how, how was it see you know, watching the episode, uh, being able to see yourself 
in such a well-loved, you know, maybe Dis- maybe Disney Star Wars' biggest success, uh, depending if you love the sequels or not. Um, but how was it being able to, you know, watch yourself play, uh, be... How like how was it experiencing that for the first time, getting being able to see yourself, you know, in Star Wars? Uh, it was pretty magical. I mean, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't a little frustrating because, as you know, in season one, a lot of the episodes were pretty short. That battle scene uh, could be extended probably an extra three to four minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were there for an extra day, and there were some shots. I had a couple of illustrators recreate them for me uh, to where I had some better shots there and such. Yeah. But ultimately, I, I was pretty satisfied, of course. Again, you know, I think any actor or any fan would want the icing on the cake to where instead of all the customs that uh, the fans have made for me, uh, you definitely want that official vintage one there in a way. So uh, or that official uh, LFL Lucasfilm licensed uh, uh, character. So definitely excited. But like I said, I, I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't slightly disappointed that we didn't get in as one of those rare uh, mail away figures uh, for uh, the Mandalorian. But who knows? You know, the great thing is, is. You know, these characters come back and uh, even with the bounty hunters, they became legendary after so many years mm-hmm. of Empire Strikes Back. So I, I'm hoping the same for Gecko there uh, over the years there. Yeah, for sure. Um, so now I kind of want to talk to you um, about, you know, this season, The Mandalorian. Uh, I kind of want to discuss it because I believe chapter, I think it was 11, came out yesterday. Um, a couple bombshells, you know, of you know, uh, Bo-Katan, uh, and, uh, all the other Mandalorians. How, how was that? Like, how did you, did you like the episode? Have you liked season two? Absolutely amazing. I mean, the visual effects we were talking online this morning, mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost like a major feature film, you know, seeing the, uh, descent onto that planet, not to mention the takeoff and, um, uh, Titus Welliver, who's, uh, you know, just an amazing actor there on his television series, Bosch, uh, he did such an amazing job. Plus, again, the intertwining, which Dave and John do so well. But Dave, yeah. of course, uh, with the Clone Wars and now, of course, leading open to uh, Ahsoka. Uh, and hopefully, you know, the origin and figuring out uh, where this child comes from and what his history is and what his uh, story is, uh, is really going to be special, especially if they start intertwining it with the Jedi. Uh, so that's really, really just uh, mm-hmm. such an amazing cliffhanger. I thought uh, Bryce Dallas Howard did an absolutely amazing job with it. Yeah, sure. I'm sure she'll be back uh, for many more episodes and uh, to be a permanent part of the Star Wars universe with whether she gets her own feature film or whether she gets a, uh, her own spinoff series uh, with uh, Star Wars in terms of directing. Yeah. Uh, but without question, I think uh, it's, it's absolutely amazing there and uh, what they're doing with it. Uh, and I think it's a story that's been really fun for uh, for so many people there. Mm-hmm. And uh, are you excited uh, with the return of, you know, Boba Fett? And we got to see Cobb Vanth in the first episode. Are you a Boba Fett fan? Oh, without question. Anything attached to the original trilogy, I think, is really magical just because, you know, uh, us Gen Xers uh, specifically and also the baby boomers have so much of a long history with wonderment in terms of where these characters come from. Yeah. The Sand People, uh, Squid Man, even Klaatu or uh, uh, what was it? Um, uh, I forget the uh, the bartenders uh, race there. Um, oh, boy. That's going to kill me now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, all those uh, people on the skiff from Return of the Jedi, uh, you know, just really, it's just amazing to see kind of either their species move on, uh, to see some of the detail and the story yeah. of, you know, oh, wow, so that's why Squidman does this, or how, that's why the Tusken Raiders had that little pick at the end. You know, things like that are just so special for those of us who have been around you know, 40 plus years, not to mention the younger generations as well. For sure. Uh, and I just love when they uh, they bring back in the original trilogy because uh, uh, it, it makes it that much more magical for, for those of us uh, that are over 40 there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, 
do you have any theories on where uh, where you know the Mandalorian the next few episodes are going to go? Do you think we'll see Bo-Katan again? Do you think uh, we'll maybe see uh, a siege on Mandalore a bit? What do you think? Um, I, I think uh, Disney is definitely in need of a tremendous amount of content, not to mention with COVID. So I think we're going to see a lot of everything because ultimately I think they're in need of probably two or three more spinoffs yeah. of this show. Uh, and I think this is always going to be the origin, which I think is going to be pretty, uh, pretty special. Uh, so I, I, I really think that they're going to focus on, uh, you know, maybe Boba Fett story, mm-hmm. as well as maybe even a Bo-Katan series, yeah. uh, Ahsoka series. Uh, I think they can do a million different things with this in terms of stemming off. Um, but hopefully, like I said, hopefully you'll see Gecko in there sooner or later as well. Uh, just to continue on with the series there. Yeah, for sure. And especially with all the talks of, uh, you know, Filoni-verse, as people are saying, you know, having a bunch of new shows of characters from uh, from Rebels and from the Clone Wars, I think we're definitely going to see um, a lot of, you know, our favorite characters come back and for live action, for animated, uh, you know, with a Rebel sequel being uh, rumored. So, um, yeah, that's basically all the questions I have. Uh, where can they where can they find you? Where can people... Uh, sure, uh, geckothebountyhunter.com. Uh, I have a hopefully a very, very special announcement, maybe around Christmas or in February, uh, where Gecko will continue on, hopefully through the Marvel comic series, but it is not confirmed yet. Um, but definitely either on uh, Facebook, uh, they have Lair of the Gecko, and then also all throughout uh, social media platforms, which is uh, Dominic Pace. Always appreciate everyone's support, especially the Star Wars community. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thank you so, so much for coming on. This has been really amazing. Uh, it's been really cool to hear some behind the scenes of The Mandalorian, and I uh, wish you all the best with getting Gecko into Star Wars, the uh, Star Wars future. Uh, and I, uh, I will watch it with interest and I'm very excited. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for digging the time. And uh, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Josh. Have a great day. And uh, my best to all your listeners. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. You too. Okay. See ya. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 So that was my interview with uh, Dominic Pace. Um, Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it was really, really cool to talk uh, talk to you. And, uh, you know, there's some some cool stuff behind the scenes that I didn't know. I didn't know that, well, I kind of, I guess I kind of had guessed that um, that the pe- most people in the cast wouldn't have known about Baby Yoda. But it's still kind of interesting how, because, right, it, for me, like, it wouldn't have made sense of there being almost no leaks right like I follow a good amount of leaks and I had heard nothing it was a complete surprise and same with you know most stuff um in the Mandalorian um especially last season so yeah it was uh that was really cool uh to to hear and it's interesting how you know they only saw the swaddle and what like 24 bounty hunters I think he said didn't didn't know about that so that's that, that was really cool and a cool um piece of behind the scene information uh, now I just want to talk a tiny bit about um, the newest episode of The Mandalorian that just came out yesterday. Or wait, no, it's two days ago. Sorry. Um, it was it was really good. Um, I had to wait all day because uh, I had school, so I couldn't watch it in the morning. But I had to wait till like three o'clock to watch it, so I stayed off social media all day, um, and it was so worth it. You know, we got to see. Oh, actually, you know what? I'll just go. We'll go through a run. Uh, we'll go do a run through of it. Um, so first thing uh, we see is you know they wake up. They're going. They're they're going onto pla- 
they're going, and I, th- I think that planet is Moncala, right? I think uh, people were right about that. Um, so, you know, they're entering Moncala, you see the ship just starts burning up, and they got that, they have that really awesome landing where it looks like they're, he's just gonna make it, touch down, and then they just tip sideways and fall into the water. Um, yeah, Frog Lady gets, 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 uh, Frog Lady, uh, what's the word? Would met up? I don't, like, gets re- no, reacquainted, isn't it? Um, oh my gosh, I'm kicking myself, I can't, I can't, whatever. Frog Lady meets up with Frog, Frog Guy, and, uh, they're, they're back together, and you see Sasha Banks, you see, uh, one of the Mandalorians, um, watch, watch, uh, Mando, which is, uh, which is, uh, which is the part that we saw in the trailer, and uh, a lot of people thought it was Sabine, including me. We were wrong. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we get it. And then they, he goes into the pub where, or I guess pub, um, where uh, they um, they meet up. And that uh, Mon Calamari offers to take him uh, to meet the other Mandalorians. Um, and Baby Yoda has that really adorable moment where, you know, that squid is on his face, which was awesome. Um, so yeah, no, they're going on the ship. Uh, he gets, Baby Yoda gets eaten, um, which was, I didn't, I couldn't, like, it was really weird how, uh, or I wasn't expecting it, I don't know, it just came out of nowhere. Um, doing that Boba, uh, Mando jumps in, they close it, they're trying to kill, but Mando almost dies, and then, um, Bo-Katan and, and, uh, members of Clan Kree's come down from the sky and just absolutely destroy them, and we get to see Bo-Katan for the, in, for, in the live, sorry, in live action for the first time, and, uh, um, yeah, she, she, her armor, uh, her, like, her armor looks really good in live action, um, her helmet looks really cool, and I really liked the other, um, I really liked how the other Clan Crease members looked. I know one was played by Sasha Banks, and the other was played by an actor that I just started following, um, and I have it on my phone, one sec. Um, his name is, the other actor is Simon Cass, or Simon Cassiendis. I might be saying that wrong, I'm sorry if I am. Um, but he played the character Axe Wolves. Which is pretty sick. Um, apparently, uh, apparently George Lucas himself uh, came up with the name, so that's that's pretty cool. And it was really cool to see um, Clan Kree's, uh, or sorry, a small portion of Clan Kree's. Um, so, uh, for so, uh, um, sorry, I'm I'm just there's a million thoughts going through my head at once. Uh, so Bo-Katan takes off her helmet and. Um, Mando and for, for Mando's like, where did you get that armor? Same thing that he did with Boba. And I don't know, was this just me, or did I just get really annoyed with Mando? In that split second, was I the only one? I mean, like, I know that he's just like he was just doing like it, like we know Bo-Katan is a Mandalorian, but for the split second, I was like, dude, shut up! It's Bo-Katan. Come on. Like, gee, no, more of a Mandalorian than you are. She was actually born into the role. Jerk. Um, no, but I don't know. Maybe it was just me. Maybe I'm just uh, crazy. Um, no, but it, it was really cool to see uh, 
yeah, it was really cool to see her. Um, I forget the actor's name, so I'll look it up. Um, and I'm pretty sure it's the same actor who played her um, in... Oh, so the the actress who played her was... Um, sorry. Uh, Katie Sackhoff. Um, and it's I, I believe it's the same person who played her in... Uh, yeah, I think it's the same actress. I'm uh, yeah, okay. I think it's the same actress. Um the her armor. I was looking at a picture of uh Bo Bo-Katan's armor um in live action uh and versus like uh animated. It looks really different, but it looks really cool. It looks more a bit more like the armor that we've seen it looks if i i encourage you to go like look up look up uh, at them they're really they're kind of different but uh no it's still re- there's really really cool and the helmet looks awesome um and then so it's kind of revealed that but uh, that um dinjarin uh is a member of I believe it's the child of the watch am I, or child of the death watch or something like that. And uh, we know that he was raised by the death watch. He was saved by them. Um, which is, which is really cool, which explains why, you know, cause there was, there was a bunch of people like, I, wh- why, why can't Mando take his helmet off? Every other Mando we've seen has taken his, his helmet off. Um, yeah. So though that, that explains a lot and that's, that's really cool. I think, uh, I, I'm wondering, though, what the rules are for that, because we know that some, some death, like, we've seen Death Watch people take off their helmet many times, like, we've seen Pre Vizsla, but then also we've seen, you know, other, um, we've seen other, uh, other just, you know, kind of grunts of Death Watch take off their helmet, so maybe it's only the children cannot? Um, which I, which wouldn't make sense. Um, I could see that being a possibility, but I wonder, um, what the rules are, what the parameters are. Um, maybe it's a recent rule, you know? Um, no, yeah, but, so that's going to be interesting. I think they're really going to have a chance to explore. Maybe in the next season, uh, maybe this season we'll see, um, you know, maybe we'll meet up with more Death Watch characters, um, which would be really cool, you know, if we saw... Do we know any? No, but if because I'm guessing, I'm guessing that that uh, well, that means that um, uh, the armor is was most likely a Death Watch or part of um, Maul's. Um, sorry, part of Maul's clan, right? We saw that. Uh, we saw there's been a whole bunch of rumors or not rumors, um, theories of her playing oh what's the person's name um sorry i'm just looking it up there's a lot of looking it up i'm just kind of thinking of this as i go um commando what's the which was the one from the clone wars uh it's gar saxon and the other one um oh rick cast right there was some theories that i saw which actually did make sense um, of her being Rook cast, um, which if you may remember from the Clone Wars was the third in command, I believe, uh, to, to Maul. It was, she had, she was the, uh, the female, the girl with the yellow visor, uh, kind of like Gar Saxon. And she was in, she was first introduced in the, uh, in one of the, in the Maul comics or one of the Maul comics. Um, no, but yeah. And then, 
But then also there's some other things like both actors, the actors who played her in the Clone Wars, sorry, the actor, the actress who played her in the Clone Wars and the actress who played her in the, um, in the Mandalorian, I forget their names, I follow them on Instagram, uh, uh, but they were both asked to change their names, uh, change their names, change their voices to a British accent, I believe. And like the aging works up, uh, works uh, around, and also um, uh, the like she has horns on her head, right? Um, so I think it's possible that, uh, and especially now that we've seen that this most likely like the leader or you know the armor of of basically a cult it's basically a cult right um is now it would make sense if she's rook cast and i think that'd be that'd be very cool because you know i i love those uh mandalorian super commandos they look absolutely insane and uh it'll be really good and especially that we've seen since sorry especially since what we've seen with um Sorry, especially with what we've seen from what Dave Filoni and John Favreau and all the directors and writers over at the Mandalorian have been doing, um, incorporating you know old like they've done a really really good job of expanding on um, animated stuff and older stuff and books and bringing it into live action because like we we've seen like Bo-Katan was someone who and they've they've made it enjoyable right so if you if you um if you have seen the Clone Wars, if you've seen Rebels, right, and watched it through, then you most likely know who Boca Tan is or recognize her. Um, but if you haven't, it's not gonna wreck the story for you. At like right, it's it's just it it's gonna make Boca Tan less lovable. You know what I mean? Like I think how you you incorporate someone from animation well is that you you bring them in and you make it so that if you know who they are and you've watched all the stuff and you know her backstory and you're a huge Star Wars fan or even not a huge Star Wars fan but you've you know what I mean um then you'll you'll get a lot more out of out of that episode because you've uh you've you know who she is right you've you've seen it and it you know it you're you love that character right um but if you if you don't uh it's not gonna wreck the episode for you, right? Like, it's still a badass uh, Mandalorian that's coming in and she's just absolutely obliterating everyone, right? Which is, you know, even, like, uh, which is amazing and her armor looks amazing. Um, so, yeah, and they were, like, they were they were very cool. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's how you do it. And I think uh, we're gonna see Bo-Katan again for sure. Um, I think it's possible that... Maybe there's a chance that we get a spin-off series of, like, Clan Crees, which, I don't know, it's possible, but it's, I don't know. But I think we're going to see her again, especially um, with her being such a loved character. Um, yeah, so a whole bunch of stuff happens, which uh, I'm not going to go into too detail about, but then um, they start a, they start uh, an attack on a transport uh, for weapons, I believe. It started off that way. And I'm not 100% sure. I could be wrong on this. But I believe that the transport that they um, that they attacked was from Rebels. I could be wrong. Um, or at least very close to one that we've seen in Rebels in, in Model. Um, so it's, it's possible that, uh, that, that it's the... the it's possible that it was a close transport and another good way of, you know, incorporating stuff from, uh, 
Rebels into live action. Um, one thing that I do want to say, though, is the... The level of animation and this episode just looks so good, right? Like, I can't, like... It, it just looks so good from, like, the from, you know, the Mon Calamari and their prosthetics, uh, like, right? All that stuff. To, to the animation of the ship and the Razor Crest and... Like, it just, it looked absolutely insane. Um, so, you know, whoever's, whoever is doing the animation and, uh, whoever's working on The Mandalorian just deserves, like, hats off. You're doing an amazing job. Um, yeah, so, so they attack, they attack the, uh, the transport. And I loved that, I loved, I loved this whole, uh, this may have been my favorite episode so far. I think it may have been. I think it is for a lot of people. Um. And I love Cobb Vance, so that is a hard, hard barrier to cross. Um, yeah, so they're just absolutely obliterating stormtroopers. Um, they're just dropping like flies. Um, you know, the Imperial... There's the Imperial... Uh, there's uh, Sorry, there are the Imperials in the main... Uh, in the cockpit, right? Um, one thing is, I got extreme, uh, I got very Nazi vibes from the, uh, from the Empire this episode, which I know is, like, I think, which the Empire, I believe, is meant to be the, the, not, like, meant to be Nazis, um, but, like, you know, with basically cyanide, but it was, like, an electrical tooth, which is kind of cool to, you know, comicizing yourself and shooting the, the pilot's to just how they talked and like it was it, I got very Nazi vibe. So I mean Yeah, I don't know. Uh I don't know if I should I should I don't know what I what I should say following up there. Um which was awesome. I loved that they were like Nazis. Just absolutely no. Uh but I think no, it was just cool cuz they felt very evil and uh very um Yeah, they felt really evil, which was a really cool feeling to see. Um so yeah, uh, Bo-Katan, uh, and then they have that, so Moff Gideon, we see Moff Gideon for the first time in, uh, season two, well, we don't, yeah, we see the back of his head and his voice, um, and then, uh, yeah, uh, Bo-Katan, they all, they all get to the car, well, no, first that main officer tries to, well, shoots both of the pilots, takes control, um, then, uh, and tries to kamikaze, kamikaze it so that uh, everyone in the in the uh, ship dies. But uh, you know they were able to stop it. Um, she asks about the dark saber. Moff Gideon he tells her, or yeah, they they take the ship because they're gonna go try and uh, get Moff Gideon. Um, and uh, yeah, and then Bo-Katan tells uh, Amanda where Ahsoka is. And uh, I think it's been confirmed now that Ahsoka is going to be in episode 5. So there's going to be some type of setback uh, next episode or side adventure or something. Um, and we're going to see Ahsoka very, very soon. Um, and yeah, that, that, that's it. That's basically it for, uh, for this episode. It was a, it was a big episode. Um, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much to Dominic Pace for coming on uh that was it was really cool um so yeah uh if you uh if you like if you like if you like this episode uh wherever you're watching um 
or sorry, wherever you're listening, um, maybe just leave us a follow, leave us a like if you can, comment, tell us what you liked about the episode, um, tell us if you, if there's something you didn't like, uh, have a great day, uh, may the force be with you, and see you guys next time.